A little introduction, my name's John Gould, I'm the middle school guy, and that's a true story. And um, so I'm used to interaction. So if you have a, an amen or a hallelujah or a thank you Jesus or something like that, God like keep, you know, something that we talk about kind of sticks with you and you want to shout that out, that's great. Just don't shout that out when I say, okay, let's wrap this up. Don't say amen, hallelujah, then. Just let's just temper that a little bit, right? Okay. Another thing I like to do with the middle school is like to give them some fun facts because we're all about, you know, kind of expanding our mental capacity. And you guys have been a part of that as well. So I got a few fun facts for you. Some of them our youth maybe have already heard, um, but here's a few. Did you know a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away? Somebody say that's cool. Isn't that cool? Five miles. Amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's right. Did you know that otters sleep holding hands so that they don't drift away from each other? Ah, everybody say ah, right? And did you know sliced bread was first manufactured in 1920? It was the best thing since. That's right. If you didn't get it, ask your neighbor, but don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, all right? So just a few little fun facts um, to brighten your day a little bit. Today we're starting or continuing our series on unshakable in a shaking world. Um, You may notice the format of your notes this morning is a little different. There are no actual fill in the blanks. Um, That's for two reasons. One, when I, we're going to dig into a passage in 2 Peter, as you're going to see in a few minutes. But when I read through the Bible, I like to read a section and I like to go back and reread it. And I like to circle things and underline things that caught me that day. And I could do that like two weeks later and I might circle something different and catch something else different the second or the third time around. So I'm going to give you guys, we're going to dig into 2 Peter here in a little bit. And so there's no blanks for that reason. It lets you write whatever you want. There's some lines on the back of the page that lets you just write down your thoughts or whatever comes to mind. But at the end, we're going to say, we're going to write down what our next step is. Because there's a next step for all of us. And we'll get to that in just a second. So that's the main reason for the format of the notes. The other reason for the format of the notes is I have a really hard time following instructions and things and so if it's like mapped out I'm probably going to mess it up and miss a blank or whatever so that's the other reason so also part of this series if you were if you were here last week we have been given a memory verse we get a memory verse every week Vern gave us a memory verse last week out of Ephesians 6 10 and 11 how many of you were here last week how many of you have memorized the verse okay <laughs> fewer hands okay that's fair bible memory is hard for says hard for me i know people that can memorize like whole chapters of the bible whole whole chapters a whole book of the bible i know people that can do that that's not me i mean if i get one verse that kind of sticks out to me i like work on that verse right but there there's a really good value in just knowing that verse so we do have ephesians 6 10 we're going to put it on the screen, and then we can all read through it. I'm not going to put you all on the spot right now. We'll read through it one more time. So Ephesians 6.10, finally, recite this with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, so now we'll take that away. And Vern asked us to do 
have a test. And some of you were a little apprehensive about that. And a couple of you even asked me, are you going to go easy on us or what are you going to do? So we're going to go easy. Um, right now, the ushers are grabbing microphones in the back. And we're going to randomly just come through the audience and hand you the mic and ask you to read. No, we're not going to do that. That's just a joke. So, uh, but it is really, really valuable to memorize bits and pieces of Scripture. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone or on a device? A lot of you. If you don't have it, get it. What a great way. Get a verse of the day. Start there. Gives you a verse of the day. Look at it. Read it. Internalize it. Move on. Really, really good place to start to feed off the Word of God. Okay? So today we're talking about the pa having a passion for the truth. I don't know if you guys know it or have realized it, but there is an absolute assault on truth in our world today. Would you guys agree? There's an absolute assault on truth. Probably in, in record in, in history, an assault on truth. And I think probably now more than ever, we need to know what we believe we need to know why, believe it, why we believe it, and maybe even most of all, we need to be able to stand boldly. Grab it and stand boldly. We're going to talk about that in a little bit more as well. Last week, um, Vernon uh, talked about the armor of God, which is what that memory verse was about. Um, did you, we're going to talk about the word of God, which in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Youth will remember this. We talked about the armor of God a while back, but think of this. If you go through all the pieces of the armor of God, there's nothing for your backside. Everything's on the front. There's nothing for your back. You get the breastplate. You got a shield. There's nothing for the back. What does that say? Because we're supposed to stand firm and face. We got nothing to run from. We can stand firm, face adversity, and face the enemy because of that armor that he's given us. But today we get to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God spoke everything into being using His words. The Word is so powerful. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We also have a memory verse for today. And that memory verse, Rick is pre Pastor Rick is preaching next week. I don't know what kind of test he'll give you. Um, but uh, our memory verse for this week is 1 Timothy 4.16. should be on your screen. Let's all read this together. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does that mean? Pay attention, persevere. It's going to save you and the people around you if you share it, right? Your hearers. It's going to save you and your hearers. Great verse. What I don't want is this, I don't want you to feel like the message this morning is about, hey, we need to read our Bible more because it's a good thing to do and we should read. Yes, that's true. But I hope what you'll get out of it today is knowing God and having a deeper knowledge of him and knowing his word leads us to a more fulfilling, more exciting, more dynamic relationship with him, which translates into great things that happen in our life, which translates into what happened this week. Where people just said, I'm in, I'm help, whatever I got to do. And we pulled off Bible school in a mighty way. That's what it takes. So I don't want you to feel like that's the message. That is important. But that's not really what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to read another verse to you. Colossians 2, 6 to 8. This is in your notes. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now catch this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Well, we don't see that happen in our world today, do we? That's sarcasm. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Wow, that's powerful. That's some good stuff right there. So as I said before, we're going to dig into 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1 and mainly verses 1 through 11. But before you do that, I want to tell you about my vacation. So last summer, my wife and I got to go to northwestern Montana. So how many of you have been to Montana? I know I've talked to several of you that have been there, used to live there, traveled there. How, raise your hands. How many of you have been to Mon- western Montana? How many of you have been to Gr- uh, Glacier National Park? Okay, a few of you. Okay, cool place, right? That place was amazing. So to me, that's God's country. And I said in the first service, um, Rick may, it may make him sad to know that Ohio State's campus is not God's country. But I think northwestern Montana is pretty close to it. Um, so I actually have a few pictures. Have you ever had anybody show you pictures of their vacation? They go, and they're so excited, and they show you things, and you go, oh, yeah, that's really good. Oh, that's good. It, does anybody remember slide projectors? Huh? Does anybody remember that? I, that that's good. You don't remember that. You aren't old enough to remember that. I don't, I don't believe it. Okay, so I remember... I remember going to my grandparents' house, and, you know, we'd visit, and they'd get all the cousins and everybody together, and every time we'd break out the slide projector, I'd go, oh, no, gosh. And we just click through the slides, and then, oh, look at that, look at that. Well, I'm sure it was great, and everybody loved it, and there were some good pictures there. It just didn't mean as much seeing it in a picture, right? It just didn't mean as much. But I'm going to show you some pictures anyway, because I think you're going to really love it. So picture number one, we made some really, really cool discoveries uh, in Glacier National Park. So picture number one, okay, we realized and and figured out that water really can come out of a rock. That's scriptural. So water really can come out of a rock. Number two, we found the Griswold, the... (laughs) The Griswold family Christmas tree right there, right? I, I took that picture and texted it to our kids. I said, hey, it's a Griswold family Christmas tree. Okay, not really. Okay, the next one. We discovered that, that's me, western red cedars are big trees. They're, they're big trees. They will grow over 200 feet tall. You can see how big this one is. Um, really cool. We walked through a boardwalk. And there are these trees wherever. There's this giant forest of western red cedars. So we walked through that boardwalk, and I felt really called to take a picture of one. And I didn't know why, but now I find out this morning why I felt called to do that. Um, other pictures we took. So we get in our car. You can go to the next slide. We get in our car, and we're driving on the road to the sun, which you've got to get a ticket to. So we get inside Glacier National Park, and we see pictures like this. It's like, oh, it's a postcard. Oh my. And we're looking at it, we're going, oh my gosh, this is crazy good. And then we drove a little bit further, and then we have another picture. Okay, this is a picture out our windshield through a rock tunnel, and to the right is a sheer drop-off, a sheer drop-off. And I'm driving, and 
pointing and oh, look at that. And Brenda's like, watch the road, watch the road, keep your eyes on the road, don't look around. And uh, I'm kind of surprised that the rental car company um, didn't send me a bill for the permanent fingerprints that she left in the door jam and the dashboard. Uh, but it, so it was definitely a crazy ride. It was very narrow, but we just kept driving. And then we get to another picture. Look at this. So Glacier National Park has 27 active glaciers. Okay. So we're driving. As we get to the top, we see more things. It's just we're, everywhere you look, there's great pictures. We drive and there's still snow on the side of the road. This was August. There's still snow, little patches of snow on the side of the road. So this is actually a picture of across the valley, two glaciers way up high. Um, I don't know how many miles away. There's a long ways away. Okay, next picture. You guys are like super excited about this, aren't you? Okay, now this picture here, we were almost at the top, but you could literally see for hundreds of miles. You could just, it was just like seeing a postcard. Okay, is that my last picture? Okay, that's the last one. Okay, so amazing trip. Totally amazing, but I could show you pictures all day long, all morning long. It's not going to be quite the same as being there, right? We'll come back to that in just, in just a second. As we were looking at the trees there, the western red cedars, let me give you another little nugget, another little fun fact. You guys, the youth cannot give the answer to this until we let somebody else. So does anybody know the largest living species of tree in the world today? Anybody know? Sequoia, that's, that's true. The sequoia tree is the largest living tree. Um, the, the, the formal name for that is Sequoias vegetatius. That's not true. I just made that up. <laughs> I don't know what the real, what the real name is. But does anybody know, other than the youth right now, how tall the tallest recorded redwood sequoia tree is? Does anybody know? Believe it or not, first service, somebody guessed and got it right, like first time. Anybody know? Do you, do you guys remember? Anybody remember? Not 600. You're blowing my, you're blowing my, you're blowing my example. Um, okay, 380 feet tall. 380 feet tall, almost 20 feet in diameter is this tree. It's got a name called Hyperion. It's in Northern California, and you, nobody knows exactly where it is because they don't want people going to it and vandalizing it or, or unknowingly doing damage to it. But 380 feet tall. Ironically, that's not the tallest tree ever, but that's the tallest officially recorded tree. The officially, uh, or the unofficial one, is a eucalyptus tree. In Australia, I think it's 435 feet tall. Okay, now somebody take a guess on a 400, almost 400 foot tall tree, which is a football field and then a third of a football field. If you look at that's that's crazy big. Guess somebody tell me what you think, how deep their roots go. Anybody got a guess? 50 feet. 50 feet's a guess. Any other guesses? No guesses? Okay. Believe it or not. The root system on a tree that size goes about six feet in the ground. About, about that much right there. About six feet. Okay? And you think, well, how can a tree that's almost 400 feet tall have roots that only go six feet? Okay. You ever, have you ever been to a sequoia? They grow, have seen a sequoia? They grow in forests. Massive forests. Huge trees. 
Well, guess what happens? The roots don't have to go deep because they go like this. They melt together. So you got this whole forest has got this forest floor of foundation because one tree's roots go with the other and it makes them stronger and another tree's roots go with another one and that makes them stronger. So you've got this whole forest floor together. I'm like, man, that's kind of like the church, right? Should be, right? Okay, that's, I'm done with the fun facts, but that's pretty cool, you got to admit, right? Okay, um, we're going to dig into 2 Peter chapter 1. This is in your notes. I'm going to give you an outline of what 2 Peter, how that goes, because we don't have time to dig all the way into it, but I want to give you an outline. Verses 1 through 11, Peter's giving us instructions on how to live a fulfilled, effective life, basically. Verses 12 to 15, Peter talks about his coming death. Peter knows his days are numbered. He's coming to the end of his life. He's completely okay with it, ready to go home and be with Jesus. That's not the issue, but he's concerned about the church, so he's giving them some nuggets. He's trying to encourage them and build them up before he goes. That's verses 12 to 15. Verses 16 to 18, Peter talks about their eyewitness account, meaning him, the disciples, and the people around them saying, listen, we've seen it. We've seen Jesus. We've seen his miracles. We know what he's doing. You can believe us because we've seen it with our own eyes. So that's what he says in verse 16 to 18. And verse 19 to 21, he talks about the prophetic word of God, which is spoken and written. Now he's getting to the word where people, in case you're doubting, he's telling them, in case you're doubting, the prophetic word of God is reliable and authentic. There's no reason to doubt it. Okay? Now I'm going to give you a free bonus and go and nibble into chapter 2. This is just a, this is included in your price of admission. Um, It's like if you, uh, if you go to Chick-fil-A and you get the eight-piece nugget and you open the box and there's like nine nuggets in it that's extra, that's what this is about right here. I thought that was funnier. Um, Okay, (laughs) verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, but there were also... False prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping What does this mean? In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Well, we don't see that today, right? That's not going on, right? That's sarcasm again. Um, So what is this? I'll tell you a story. Vernon and I had a long discussion. He was on the road last night. He's on his way probably almost to Virginia by now. He was in South Carolina. And I told Vernon, pardon me, I told Vernon, I said, man, I really, there's a story I want to tell. I feel like God's laid on my heart. And I said, but hey, I I just want to talk about it. So we talked for a little while last night. So let let me highlight a couple of verses before that. Psalms 139 says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1 says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And Matthew 10 says, the very, head, the very hairs on your head are numbered. What does that tell you? Life is pretty important to God, right? Pretty important to God. I am the father of a daughter that was born at 29 weeks, 2 pounds, 7 ounces. 
she's here this morning. We have some dear friends of ours that had a grandson born last week, 26 weeks, one pound, 14 ounces. And that little guy's in the NICU defying the odds right now as we speak. We went to a specialist because we were having some, Brenda was having some complications with her pregnancy. I told this story to the youth a couple weeks ago, um, not knowing what was going to happen on Friday with the Supreme Court. We had a specialist that we went to, and he told us he recommends that we terminate this pregnancy. And his exact words were, nothing good is going to come from this pregnancy. Hair on the back of my neck stood up. And we said, that's not an option. That's not our choice. That's God's choice. Well, she's here today. And her name is Selby. We did not name her nothing good. Because that's a stupid name. (laughs) So she's here today. Because of that. Why do I say that? There's a lot of deception in the world today with a lot of who knows how many agendas. Vernon and I talked last night. We, Abundant Life, are unapologetically pro-life and believe in the sanctity of life and believe that that is God's decision and God's job. Okay? We can read all the way through Scripture and it's very, very clear. When we read in chapter 2 of 2 Peter about the, what happens to people that spread lies and untruth. I'll tell you what, knowing how important life is to God, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be messing with it. It's important to him. You may, or you may have someone in your family or your friend group that made a different decision than we did. We made a decision based on what we knew the Word of God said. It wasn't even an option. The thought didn't even cross our mind because we knew the Word of God. We knew the sound of His voice, and we knew that wasn't an option. Here's the sad part. It happens, and people get caught not knowing and not feeling like they don't have an option. So if you have had a different outcome or a family member, here's the good news. God's a God of redemption and forgiveness. And whatever's happened is part of your story. And he'll use that story if you let him. It's not condemnation. That's not it. Abundant life is pro-life for that matter. We can legislate and we can pass laws that save lives. Amen. Hallelujah for that. But the church is in the business of changing hearts and saving people. And only God can do that. And if we introduce people to the heart of God, minds are going to be changed and good things are going to happen, right? Okay, That's, I'm chasing a rabbit and running down a, running down a trail there. But what does this verse tell us then? You've heard this saying, God said it, we believe it, that settles it. That has to be the way where we stand. Because if we don't, there's all kinds of thoughts and ideas and different ways of looking at it, we've got to stand strong on the 
on the, uh, and be unashamed of the word of God. 100%. Okay, let's get into First Peter. In your notes, I cut this into sections here, so you guys can circle and make notes or do whatever. But let's get through this. Um, First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, and I'm going to read it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who th- to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So Peter wrote it, and he wrote it to believers. Okay, he wrote it to us. He wrote it to the church. Grace, and here's his greeting, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I'm all about, the, I'll take all the grace and all the peace I can get, and I'll take it in abundance. The New King James Version says multiplied instead of abundance through the knowledge of him. So what does the knowledge of him really mean? Well, it's the word. He's given us his word, but it's a relationship. It's bigger than that. We need to know what he says, we need to, we, and we need to understand it, but it's a relationship. It's just like any other relationship that we have. Knowledge was a big thing for Peter in this passage. But it's just like any other relationship. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the good shepherd. And he, and he says the good shepherd cares for his sheep, and the sheep know the sound of his voice They recognize his voice. He goes before them and they follow him because they recognize his voice. But it also says they won't follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him. Okay, so what does a shepherd do? A shepherd is like caring for his sheep 24-7. I mean, he's out in the bush. He's probably fought off lions and bears to protect them. The sheep know. He's got their best interests at mind. They know they can trust him, but over time, they know the sound of his voice. And they'll follow that voice and no one else's. Pretty cool when you translate it back to us, knowing God's voice. So we can know God's voice. Let's bring it back to more personal. So it would be like if somebody came and said, if somebody came to us this morning and said, hey, Vern called... Um, and he said, he does not like ice cream. If there's ice cream in his house, he wants it gone. No more ice cream in the church because he's decided he doesn't like ice cream. Well, those of you that know Vern enough know that doesn't sound like Vern, right? That doesn't sound like him. And we would probably say, oh, Vern called? Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't think he said that. Doesn't sound like him, right? Here's another example. My mom loves to cook for people. When my mom cooks, she cooks for an army. If there's four of us, she cooks for an army. This is a family joke. So she can, if somebody would come to me and say, hey, talk to your mom, and she's worried that we have too much food for tonight. I'd go, yeah, that's not my mom, because that doesn't sound like her. She's always worried that we don't have enough food. Okay, so I would say, no, that doesn't sound like my mom. If somebody came and said, hey, the middle schoolers all got together and they say, we don't need snack on Sunday morning out in the chapel when we leave. We don't need snack. We just need you and God's word. I would say, yeah, it doesn't sound like the middle schoolers because I can tell you if we even run low on snack, I hear it. Okay, so I would say that doesn't sound like them. I'll give you one more example. If 
Somebody came to me and said, hey, talk to Brenda, my wife, and she wants to drain your savings account and you guys go on a, on a big vacation. I'd go, yeah, that's definitely not my wife. Doesn't sound like her. That's not her characteristics. It, I know it's not her. How do I know any of these things? Because I know the person. I, I know what they likely would say and what they wouldn't say. All right, you guys get it. All right, let's go to verse 3. Verse 3, there's a lot in verse 3 and 4. Here we go. His divine power has given us everything, not a little bit, not some things, not the beginning of a list. He's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge. There's the word knowledge again of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these, meaning through glory, his glory and goodness. Listen to this. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, and here we go, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's a lot there. We could actually stop right there after having escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We could stop right there and go home and say, wow, that was good, right? But Peter doesn't stop there. He keeps going. But what stuck out to me is, his divine power and his divine nature in that passage. What does divine mean? It means pertaining to or of God. It's an, it's an eternal thing. It's supernatural. It's a, a knowing above all knowing. It's a super higher power. That's divine. We get to participate in that. We get to be part of that if we grow in our knowledge of him, right? Okay, verse, uh, let's jump down to verse 5. Oh, by the way, also, his great and precious promises requires one thing for us, and that is to boldly accept those promises. Don't just read them. Don't just say, oh, that's cool. I, I, I accept that. I receive that. The Bible is full of them. Verse 5, for this very reason, meaning verse 3 and 4, because of his divine power, because of his glory and goodness, because of his great and precious promises, because we get to participate in the divine nature, and because we can escape the corruption in the world, because of that, make every effort to add to your faith, starts with faith, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love, Love is what Jesus showed us. So it starts with faith, it ends with love, and a whole bunch of really good stuff in the middle. Here's some really good things coming at verse 8. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities, the ones we just read, in increasing measure, come back to that in a second, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge again, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. He's telling us that we need to possess them in increasing measure. That's just growth. The good news is he doesn't expect us to have it all right now. It's a journey. We grow. We move. That's how we get it in increasing measure. And then the obvious thing, we flip it around instead of It'll keep you from being ineffective or unproductive. What it's going to do is make you effective and productive in your faith. Great stuff. So to illustrate that, how many of you know what this is? 
You may know what this is. You're like, that's a piece of metal with a hole in it, right? If you can see it. Are there any mountain climbers in the group? Not one. That's good. Then if I say something that's not right, nobody will know it. Okay, so this is a tool for mountain climbers, specifically people that climb like sheer cliffs and that kind of thing. This is called a piton. I'm really surprised that the middle school didn't yell that out. Um, but this is called a piton, P-I-T-O-N. And what it is is we, it gets driven into a crack or a crevice in the side of the cliff with a hammer. It's hardened steel. And it actually will, I can't hardly make it bend, but it's somewhat flexible, but it will always spring back to its normal, normal shape. And what that does is when it gets in the crevice, it ain't coming out. It, it stays, okay? So a mountain climber will climb a cliff to a certain point, find a spot to put one of these in, and then he'll take his, you know what this is? Anyone? Carabiner. All right, we got that part right. Okay. So they put this through the hole. They put their rope in there, okay? They've achieved a point that they can't fall below now, technically. That rope... They've, they've achieved that point, and they won't go below it. Now, it could slip. If we were climbing a rock face, we might slip a little bit. We might get some bumps and bruises, but we're not going to fall very far because of that. So that's a milestone in our life. These are these little things. These are the things that were listed in, in verses 5, 6, and 7. I can look at, I, there were milestones in my life that I remember. I remember the first time that I said the name of Jesus like out loud in front of people. Believe it or not, I was like scared to death. I was like, I don't know, sounds kind of weird. I'm not going to do that. I remember the first time I prayed. I don't remember what I prayed. It was probably very insignificant. But I remember the first time that I prayed in front of other people. I remember the first time that I raised my hands in worship. Okay? So these are milestones to me. You guys might have similar milestones Big milestone in our life was the birth of our daughter when we said, no, not here, not today. We're standing on God's worth. word. It's a milestone, okay? Strengthens our faith, okay? I'm going to go back to Glacier National Park. As we drove up the mountain, as a mountain climber climbs a cliff, the higher you get, the better the view. It gets, it gets better, and it gets better. When you think it can't get better, it gets better. Same thing in our, in our faith. If we are willing to grow in our knowledge of him and understand his word and recognize his voice, the view gets better. It gets way better, beyond our imagination better. Verse 9 says, and this is a wake-up call. So this has really been all good stuff until now. Verse 9, but... Whoever does not have them, meaning the qualities, that fruit, the things that we saw in verse 5, 6, and 7, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. What does that mean? It means we're not moving. It means we're not moving. It's the view never changes. It's the view is the same as it was before. It's like being on a merry-go-round. You know, you get on a merry-go-round, you can whip that horse all you want, but it's just going to go around in circles. Until you get off the merry-go-round, you're going to be in the same spot over 
and over and over. That's exactly what Peter was talking about here. If we don't keep moving, if there's not growth, if we don't see these things start to bubble out of our life, what do we do? We run the risk of being on that merry-go-round. We come right back to where we were. We trip over the same things. We still have the same struggles. That's what it means when we forget that we've been cleansed of that. What is he saying? Forget that ever exists. Move on. Keep climbing. Go higher. The view's awesome, is what he would tell us. And in chapter 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. This does not mean that our works get us anywhere. It doesn't mean that. It means we should see those things start to come out of our life because we're growing on our knowledge of him. We're getting closer to him. We're recognizing the sound of his voice. Now we're going to start to see that fruit come out. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will never stumble. Now, it doesn't mean, go back to the rock climbing thing. We're going to get some bumps and bruises. We're going to get some scrapes. We're going to bleed a little bit. It's part of our story. A mountain climber, that's kind of like a badge of honor. They don't mind the scrapes and bruises. I got this on mount, whatever, whatever. I got oh, yeah, I see my knee. I gotta, had to get some stitches in that. I mean, it hurts at the time. But it's part of our story. A story that only we can tell. God takes those scrapes, bumps, and bruises, turns them into something positive that we can affect the world around us. I firmly believe God's up to some big things, guys. God is up to some big stuff in our world. He's up to some big things here, but he's up to some big things. You know what? Evil and corruption and all that stuff that seems to be rearing its ugly head. I didn't surprise God. He didn't go on vacation in 2020 in March. He's not on vacation. He didn't take time off. He knows exactly what's going on. He's rallying his church, guys. He's rallying the church. And what's he telling us? Get on the wall. Get on the mountain. Keep climbing. And what should the church do? Imagine we're, all of us, are on this cliff in very di different locations on the cliff. And we've got our ropes and we're, we're hooked into our carabiners in the piton and the rock. And we've got people at the bottom that are like, i got one hand here, one hand here, and i got one foot. But they just can't get the other foot off the ground. They can't leave it behind. What's God telling us? What should we be doing? You can do it. Let's go. You can make it. You can make it to that spot. We'll help you get to that spot. But it takes that one, that first step to get on the rock. The first step where we get that, our last foot, where we're 100% committed. And I think there may be some people here this morning, you've been wrestling with that decision. You've been there. You're there. You're like right here, right? I'm almost ready to go. I'm almost ready to go. You know it's a good thing. And you've wrestled with it. And you've wrestled with it. Well, you might be here today to get that last foot off the ground. This might be your day to do that. Or maybe you feel like you've been on that merry-go-round. And, hey, I'm, I'm committed, but I just I keep coming back to the same place I've been. God will just take, get off of that. 
get your rope, let's get on the cliff, and let's go. Or he might be telling you, let's encourage the people around us. You know, the church has a tendency to kind of shoot our wounded every now and then, right? Um, no, we should be encouraging. We can do it, and we can do it as a group. We saw it happen this week in Bible school. People just came together. Some people didn't even know what they were going to do when they got here, but they're like, hey, I'm in. Whatever I got to do to help. I believe that's what God's calling the church to be. Win hearts. Win hearts. And we win hearts by showing them the God's heart. That's how we do it, right? 